22, so discovered a list of the English pensioners of the Spanish court, which included some of the ministers, and came home in 1613 to communicate this important intelligence to the king. In 1614 he again went to Spain to effect a union between the Infanta Maria and Charles, though he himself was in favor of a Protestant marriage, and desired a political and not a matrimonial treaty. In 1616, on the disgrace of Somerset, he was recalled home to give evidence concerning the latter's connections with Spain, was made vice-chamberlain and a privy councillor, and obtained from James the manor of Sherborne forfeited by the late favorite. In 1618 he went once more to Spain to reopen the negotiations, returning in May, and being created Baron Didby on the 25th of November, he endeavored to avoid a breach with Spain on the election of the Elector Palatine, the king's son-in-law, to the Bohemian throne, and in March 1621, after the latter's expulsion from Bohemia, Didby was sent to Brussels to obtain a suspension of hostilities in the Palatinate. On the 4th of July he went to Vienna and drew up a scheme of pacification with the Emperor, by which Frederick was to abandon Bohemia and be secured in his hereditary territories, but the agreement could never be enforced. After raising money for the defense of Heidelberg he returned home in October, and on the 21st of November explained his policy to the Parliament, and asked for money and forces for its execution. The sudden dissolution of Parliament, however, prevented the adoption of any measure of support and entirely ruined Didby's plans. In 1622 he returned to Spain with nothing on which to rely but the goodwill of Philippine, and nothing to offer but entreaties. On the 15th of September he was created Earl of Bristol. He urged on the marriage treaty, believing it would include favorable conditions for Frederick, but the negotiations were taken out of his control, and finally wrecked by the arrival of Charles himself and Buckingham in March 1623. He incurred their resentment of which the real inspiration was Buckingham's implacable jealousy, by a letter written to James informing him of Buckingham's unpopularity among the Spanish ministers, and by his endeavoring to maintain the peace with Spain after their departure. In January 1624 he left Spain, and on arriving at Dover in March, Buckingham and Charles having now complete ascendancy over the king, he was forbidden to appear at court and ordered to confine himself at Sherborne. He was required by Buckingham to answer a series of interrogatories, but he refused to inculpate himself and demanded a trial by Parliament. On the death of James he was removed by Charles I from the Privy Council, and ordered to absent himself from his first Parliament. On his demand in January 1626 to be present at the coronation Charles angrily refused, and accused him of having tried to pervert his religion in Spain. In March 1626, after the assembling of the Second Parliament, did be applied to the lords, who supported his rights, and Charles sent him his writ accompanied by a letter from Lord Keeper Coventry desiring him not to use it. Bristol, however, took his seat and demanded justice against Buckingham Thomas on tracts. The 126-20, the king endeavored to obstruct his attack by causing Bristol on the 1st of May to be himself brought to the bar, on an accusation of high treason by the Attorney General. The lords, however, ordered that both charges should be investigated simultaneously. Further proceedings were stopped by the dissolution of Parliament on the 15th of June, a prosecution was ordered by Charles in the Star Chamber, and Bristol was sent to the V.04P.0578 Tower, where he remained till the 17th of March 1628, when the peers, on the assembling of Charles's third Parliament, insisted on his liberation and restoration to his seat in the Lords. In the discussions upon the petition of right, 
Bristol supported the use of the king's prerogative in emergencies, and asserted that the king besides his legal had a regal power, but joined in the demand for a full acceptance of the petition by the king after the first unsatisfactory answer. He was now restored to favor, but took no part in politics till the outbreak of the Scottish rebellion, when he warned Charles of the danger of attacking with inadequate forces. He was the leader in the great council held at York was a commissioner to treat with the Scots in September 1640 at Ripon, and advised strongly the summoning of the Parliament. In February 1641 he was one of the peers who advocated reforms in the administration and were given seats in the council. Though no friend to Strafford, he endeavored to save his life, desiring only to see him excluded from office, and as a witness was excused from voting on the attainder, he was appointed gentleman of the bedchamber on the king's departure for Scotland and on the 27th of December he was declared an evil counsellor by the House of Commons. Cromwell on the 28th moving an address to the king to dismiss him from his councils, on the plea that he had advocated the bringing up of the Northern Army to overawe Parliament in the preceding spring. There is no evidence to support the charge, but Digby was regarded by the Parliamentary Party with special hatred and distrust, of which the chief causes were probably his Spanish proclivities and his indifference on the great matter of religion to which was added the unpopularity reflected from his misguided son. On the 28th of March 1642 he was sent to the Tower for having failed to disclose to Parliament the Cavish petition. Liberated in April, he spoke in the Lords on the 20th of May in favour of an accommodation, and again in June in vindication of the King, but finding his efforts ineffectual, and believing all armed rebellion against the King a wicked violation of the most solemn oaths. He joined Charles at York was present at Edgehill and accompanied him to Oxford. On the 1st of February 1643 he was named with Lord Herbert of Raglan for removal from the court and public office forever, and in the propositions of November 1644 was one of those accepted from pardon. In January he had endeavored to instigate a breach of the independence with the Scots. Bristol, however, was not in favor of continuing the war, and withdrew to Sherborne, removing in the spring of 1644 to Exeter and after the surrender of the city retiring abroad on the 11th of July by order of the houses, which rejected his petition to compound for his estate, he took up his residence at Caen, passing the rest of his life in exile and poverty, and occasionally attending the young king. In 1647 he printed at Caen an apology, defending his support of the royal cause. This was reprinted in 1656 Thomas Untracks, the 897, 6. He died at Paris on the 16th of January 1653. He is described by Clarendon as a man of grave aspect, of a presence that drew respect, and of great parts and ability, but passionate and supercilious and too voluminous a discourser in council. His aim was to effect a political union between England and Spain apart from the religious or marriage questions a policy which would probably have benefited both English and European interests, but it was one understood neither in Spain nor in England and proved impracticable. He was a man of high character, who refused to compound with falsehood and injustice, whose misfortune it was to serve to Stuart sovereigns, and whose firm resistance to the king's tyranny led the way to the great movement which finally destroyed it. Besides his apology, he was the author of several printed speeches and poems, and translated a defense of the Catholic faith by Peter du Moulin 1610. He married Beatrix, daughter of Charles Walcott, and widow of Sir John Dive and besides two daughters left two sons, George, who succeeded him as second Earl of Bristol, and John, who died in married, bibliography.
the best account of Bristol will be found in the scattered notices of him in the hist, of England and of the Civil War, by S.R. Gardiner, who also wrote the short sketch of his career in the dict, of Matt, by Og, and who highly eulogizes his character and diplomacy, for lives, see Biographia Britannica Kippies, B199, Woods of, Oxon, Bliss, Eiot, 338, Deloitte's Memoirs 1668, 579, Collins's Peerage Bridges, 1812, V362, Fuller's Worthies Nichols, 1811, EI, 412, H. Walpole's Royal and Noble Authors Park, 1806, EI, 49, also Clarendon's Hist of the Rebellion, ESD, by 388, Clarendon State Papers and Cal of Sendeleader State Papers, Old Parliamentary History, Kabbalah 1691, Letters, Camden Sock, Miscellany, Volume I, 1871, Defense of His Spanish Negotiations, Education by S.R. Gardiner, Summers Tracts 1809, E.I., 501, Thomas on Tracts in Brit, Museum, Hardwick State Papers, I-494, The Innocence, at Sherborne Castle, of which a selection was transcribed and deposited in the public record office, were calendared by the Hist, Innocence. Commission in Representative VI, API page 213 and 10th Representative API page 520, there are numerous references to Bristol in various collections calendared in the same publication and in the Cal of State Papers, DOM, series, see also Harley and Nemesis, Brit, Muse, 1580, Art, 3148, and Ad, Indexes and Calendars, PCYIE in the Didby line, for the Hervey C above, Bristol. A township of Hartford County, Connecticut, USA in the central part of the state, about 16 meters SW of Hartford. It has an area of 27 square meters and contains the village of Forestville and the borough of Bristol incorporated in 1893. Both are situated on the Pequabuck River, and are served by the western branch of the Midland Division of the New York, New Haven and Hartford Railway, and by electric railway to Hartford, New Britain and Terryville. Pop. 1890-73-82-1996-43, including that of the Berto, 62-68-19-10-13.50 Berto, 95-27, among the manufacturers of the Berto of Bristol are clocks, woolen goods, iron castings, hardware, brassware, silver plate and bells, Bristol clocks, first manufactured soon after the War of Independence, have long been widely known, Bristol originally a part of the township of Farmington, was first settled about 1727, but did not become an independent corporation until the formation, in 1742, of the first church, known after 1744 as the New Cambridge Society. In 1748 a Protestant Episcopal Church was organized, and before and during the War of Independence its members belonged to the Loyalist Party, their rector, Ref. James Nichols, was tarred and feathered by the Whigs, and Moses Dunbar, a member of the church, was hanged for treason by the Connecticut authorities. Chippens Hill about three meters from the center of the township was a favorite rendezvous of the local loyalists, and a cave there, known as, the Torrey's Den, is a well-known landmark. In 1785 New Cambridge and West Britain, another ecclesiastical society of Farmington, were incorporated as the township of Bristol but in 1806 they were divided into the present townships of Bristol and Burlington. Bristol, a city, county of a city, municipal, 
County and Parliamentary Borough, and Seaport of England, chiefly in Gloucestershire but partly in Somersetshire. 1181 to Neaters W of London, Pop. 1901-328.945, B. Avon, here forming the boundary between Gloucestershire and Somerset, though entering the estuary of the Severn Bristol Channel only 8 meters below the city, is here confined between considerable hills, with a narrow valley floor on which the nucleus of the city rests, between Bristol and the channel the valley becomes a gorge, crossed at a single stride by the famous Clifton Suspension Bridge, above Bristol the hills again close in at Keynesham so that the city lies in a basin-like hollow some four meters in diameter, and extends up the heights to the north, the Great Western Railway, striking into the Avon Valley near Bath, serves Bristol from London, connects it with South Wales by the Severn Tunnel, and with the southern and southwestern counties of England, local lines of this company encircle the city on the north and the south, serving the outports of Avonmouth and Portishead on the Bristol Channel. A trunk line of the Midland Railway connects Bristol with the north of England by way of Gloucester, Worcester, Birmingham and Derby. Both companies use the central station, Temple Meads. The nucleus of Bristol lies to the north of the river. The business centre is in the district traversed by Broad Street, High Street, Wine Street and Corn Street, which radiate from a centre close to the floating harbour. To the south of this centre, connected with it by Bristol Bridge, an island is formed between the floating harbour and the new course of the Avon. V.04P.0579 and here are Temple Meads Station, above Victoria Street. Two of the finest churches the Temple and St. Mary Redcliffe the General Hospital and other public buildings. Immediately above the bridge the Little River Frone joins the Avon. Owing to the nature of the site the streets are irregular, in the inner part of the city they are generally narrow. And sometimes, with their ancient gabled houses, extremely picturesque. The principal suburbs surround the city to the west, north and east, churches, and sea. In the center of Bristol a remarkable collection of architectural antiquities is found, principally ecclesiastical. This the city owes mainly to a few great baronial families, such as the Earls of Gloucester and the Berkeleys, in its early history, and to a few great merchants, the Canines, Shipwards and Frampton's, in its later career, the Sea of Bristol, founded by Henry VIII in 1542, was united to that of Gloucester in 1836, but again separated in 1896. The diocese includes parts of Gloucestershire and Wiltshire, and a small but populous portion of Somerset. The cathedral, standing above the so-called Cannons Marsh which borders the floating harbour, is pleasantly situated on the south side of College Green. It has two western towers and a central tower, nave, short transepts, choir with aisles, an eastern lady chapel and other chapels, and on the south, a chapter house and cloister court, the nave is modern by street, 1877, imitating the choir of the 14th century, with its curious skeleton vaulting in the aisles, besides the canopy tombs of the Berkeleys with their effigies in chain mail, and similarly fine tombs of the cross-eared abbots, there are memorials to Bishop Butler, to Stern's Elizabeth Draper, and to a lady Hesket the friend of Cooper, who are all interred here, there is also here William Mason's fine epitaph to his wife D. 1767, beginning, take, holy earth, all that my soul holds dear, of Fitzhardings Abbey of St. Augustine, founded in 1142 of which the present cathedral was the church, the stately entrance gateway, with its sculptured moldings, remains hardly injured, the abbot's gateway, the vestibule to the chapter house, and the chapter house itself, 
which is carved with Byzantine exuberance of decoration, and acknowledged to be one of the finest Norman chambers in Europe, are also perfect. On the north side of College Green is the small but ornate mayor's chapel originally street marks, devoted to the services of the mayor and corporation. It is mainly decorated and perpendicular, of the churches within the center of the city. The following are found within a radius of half a mile from Bristol Bridge, St. Stephen's Church, built between 1450 and 1490, is a dignified structure, chiefly interesting for its fan tracery porch and stately tower. It was built entirely by the munificence of John Shepward, a wealthy merchant. The tower and spire of Street John's 15th century stand on one of the gateways of the city. This church is a parallelogram, without east or west windows or aisles and is built upon a fine groin crypt, St. James's Church, the burial place of its founder, Robert, Earl of Gloucester, dates from 1130, and fine Norman work remains in the nave, the tower is of the 14th century, St. Philip's has an early English tower, but its external walls and windows are for the most part debased perpendicular, Robert Fitzhame owns Norman Tower of St. Peter, the oldest church tower in Bristol, still presents its massive square to the eye. This church stands in Castle Street, which commemorates the castle of Robert, Earl of Gloucester, the walls of which were 25 feet thick at the base. Nothing remains of this foundation, but there still exist some walls and vaults of the later stronghold, including a fine early English cell, adjacent to the church's Street Peter's Hospital, a picturesque gabled building of Jacobean and earlier date, with a fine courtroom, St. Mariel Port and St. Augustine the Lesser churches of the perpendicular era and not the richest specimens of their kind. St. Nicholas Church is modern, on a crypt of the date 1503, and earlier, on the island south of the floating harbor are two of the most interesting churches in the city. Temple Church, with its leaning tower, five feet off the perpendicular, retains nothing of the Templars period, but is a fine building of the decorated and perpendicular periods. The Church of St. Mary Redcliffe, for grandeur of proportion and elaboration of design and finish is the first ecclesiastical building in Bristol, and takes high rank among the parish churches of England. It was built for the most part in the latter part of the 14th century by William Canine or Canine Jescuvi but the sculptured north porch is externally decorated, and internally early English. The fine tower is also decorated, on an early English base. The spire, decorated in style, is modern. Among numerous monuments is that of Admiral Pendy 1718 the father of the founder of Pennsylvania, the church exhibits the rare feature of transeptal aisles, of street Thomases, in the vicinity, only the tower 15th century remains of the old structures, All Hallows Church has a modern Italian campanile, but is in the main of the 15th century, with the retention of four Norman piers in the nave, and is interesting from its connection with the ancient guild of calendars, whose office it was, to convert Jews, instruct youths, and keep the archives of the town. Theirs was the first free library in the city, possibly in England. The records of the church contain a singularly picturesque representation of the ancient customs of the fraternity. Among conventual remains, besides those already mentioned, there exist of the Dominican Priory the early English refectory and dormitory, the latter comprising a row of fifteen original windows and an oak roof of the same date, and of Street Bartholomew's Hospital there is a double arch, with intervening arcades, also early English. These, with the small chapel of the Three Kings of Cologne, Holy Trinity Hospital, both perpendicular, and the remains of the house of the Augustinian canons attached to the cathedral, comprise the whole of the monastic relics. 
There are many good specimens of ancient domestic architecture notably some arches of a grand Norman hall and some Tudor windows of Colston's house, Small Street, and Canine's house, with good perpendicular oak roof, of buildings to which historic interest attaches. There are the Merchant Venturer's Arms Houses 1699, adjoining their hall. The Skilled was established in the 16th century. A small house near St. Mary Redcliffe was the school where the poet chattered and received his education. His memorial is in the churchyard of St. Mary, and in the church a chest contains the records among which he claimed to have discovered some of the manuscripts which were in reality his own. A house in Wine Street was the birthplace of the poet laureate Robert Southey 1744. Public Buildings, and see, the public buildings are somewhat overshadowed in interest by the ecclesiastical, the council house, at the cross of the four main thoroughfares, dates from 1827 was enlarged in 1894, and contains the city archives and many portraits, including a Van Dyck and an Eller. The Guildhall is closed by a modern Gothic building. The exchange used as a corn market is a noteworthy building by the famous architect of Bath, John Wood 1743, Edward Colston, a revered citizen and benefactor of the city D 1721, is commemorated by name in several buildings and institutions, notably in Colston Hall which is used for concerts and meetings. A bank closed by Street Stevens Church claims to have originated in the first savings bank established in England 1812. Similarly, the City Free Library 1613 is considered to be the original of its kind. The Bristol Museum and Reference Library were transferred to the corporation in 1893. Vincent Stuckey Lindy 1899 bequeathed to the corporation of Bristol the sum of L50.000 for the further development of the free libraries of the city, and with a special regard to the formation and sustenance of a general reference library of a standard and scientific character. The Central Library was opened in 1906. An art gallery, presented by Sir William Henry Wills, was opened in 1905. Among educational establishments, the Technical College of the Company of Merchant Venturers 1885 supplies scientific, technical and commercial education. The extensive buildings of this institution were destroyed by fire in 1906. University College 1876 forms the nucleus of the University of Bristol chartered 1909. Clifton College, opened in 1862 and incorporated in 1877, includes a physical science school, with laboratories. V.04P.0580 Museum and Observatory. Colston's Girls Day School 1891 includes domestic economy and calisthenics. Among the many charitable institutions are the General Hospital, opened in 1858, and since repeatedly enlarged, Royal Hospital for Sick Children and Women, Royal Victoria Home, and the Queen Victoria Jubilee Convalescent Home. Of the open spaces in and near Bristol the most extensive are those bordering the river in the neighborhood of the Gorge, Durdham and Clifton Downs, on the Gloucestershire side see Clifton, others are Victoria Park, south of the river, near the Bedminster Station, Eastville Park by the Throne, on the northeast of the city beyond Stapleton Road Station, St. Andrews Park near Montpelier Station to the north, and Brandon Hill, west of the Cathedral, an abrupt eminence commanding a fine view over the city and crowned with a modern tower commemorating the fourth centenary of the discovery of America by John Cabot, and sons Louis, Sebastian and Sanctus. Other memorials in the city are the High Cross on College Green 1850, and statues of Queen Victoria 1888, Samuel Morley 1888, Edmund Burke 1894.
and Edward Colston 1895, in whose memory are held annual Colston banquets, harbor and trade. Bristol Harbor was formed in 1809 by the conversion of the Avon and a branch of the Frome into the float, by the cutting of a new channel for the Avon and the formation of two basins. Altogether the water area, at fixed level, is about 85 acres. Four dry docks open into the floating harbor. In 1884 the Avon Mouth and Portis Head docks at the river entrance were bought up by the city, and the port extends from Hanham Mills on the Avon to the mouth of the river and for some distance down the estuary of the Severn, the city docks had a depth of 22 feet while those at Avon Mouth are accessible to the largest vessels. In 1902 the construction of the extensive Royal Edward Dock at Avon Mouth was put in hand by the corporation, and the dock was opened by King Edward VII. In 1908, it is entered by a lock 875 feet long and 100 feet wide, with a depth of water on the sill of 46 feet at ordinary spring and 36 feet at ordinary neap tides. The dock itself has a mean length of 1120 feet and a breadth of 1000 feet and there is a branch and passage connecting with the old dock. The water area is about 30 acres, and the dock is so constructed as to be easily capable of extension. Portis Head Dock, on the Somerset shore, has an area of 12 acres. The port has a large trade with America, the West Indies and elsewhere, the principal imports being grain, fruit, oils, or, timber, hides, cattle and general merchandise, while the exports include machinery, manufactured oils, cotton goods, tin and salt, the Elder Dempster, Dominion and other large steamship companies trade at the port, the principal industries are shipbuilding, rope walks, chocolate factories, sugar refineries, tobacco mills and pipe making, glass works, potteries, soapieries, shoe factories, leather works and tanneries chemical works, sawmills, breweries, copper, lead and shot works, iron works, machine works, stained paper works, anchors, chain cables, sailcloth, buttons, a coal field extending 16 meters southeast to a red stock avails much for Bristol manufactures. The parliamentary borough is divided into four divisions, each returning one member. The government of the city is in the hands of a Lord Mayor, 22 aldermen and 66 councillors. The area in 1901 was 11.705 acres, but in 1904 it was increased to 17.004 acres. History. Bristol Brigstow. Bristol. Bristol. Bristol is one of the best examples of a town that has out its greatness entirely to trade. It was never a shire town or the site of a great religious house, and it out little to its position as the head of a feudal lordship, or as a military post, though it is near both British and Roman camps. There is no evidence of a British or Roman settlement. It was the western limit of the Saxon invasion of Britain, and about the year 1000 a Saxon settlement began to grow up at the junction of the rivers Frome and Avon. The natural advantages of the situation favoring the growth of the township, Bristol owed much to Danish rule, and during the reign of Canute, when the wool trade with Ireland began, it became the market for English slaves. In the reign of Edward the Confessor the town was included in the earldom of Swine Godwin's son and at the date of the Domesday survey it was already a royal borough governed by a reeve appointed by the king as overlord, the king's geld being assessed at 110 marks. There was a mint at the time of the conquest, which proves that Bristol must have been already a place of some size, though the fact that the town was a member of the royal manor of Baston shows that its importance was still of recent growth. One third of the geld was paid to Geoffrey de Coutances, Bishop of Exeter, 
who threw up the earthworks of the castle, he joined in a rebellion against William I.I., and after his death the king granted the town and castle, as part of the honor of Gloucester, to Robert Fitzhamon, whose daughter Mabel, marrying Earl Robert of Gloucester in 1119, brought him Bristol as her dowry. Earl Robert still further strengthened the castle, probably with masonry, and involved Bristol in the rebellion against Stephen. From the castle he harried the whole neighborhood, threatened Bath, and sold his prisoners as slaves to Ireland. A contemporary chronicler describes Bristol Castle as, seated on a mighty mound, and garrisoned with knights and foot soldiers or rather robbers and raiders, and he calls Bristol the stepmother of England. The history of the charters granted to Bristol begins about this time. A charter granted by Henry I.I. in 1172 exempted the burgesses of Bristol from certain tolls throughout the kingdom, and confirmed existing liberties. Another charter of the same year granted the city of Dublin to the men of Bristol as a colony with the same liberties as their own town. As a result probably of the close connection between Bristol and Ireland the growth of the wool trade was maintained. Many Bristol men settled in Dublin, which for a long time was a Bristol beyond the seas its charters being almost duplicates of those granted to Bristol. About this time Bristol began to export wool to the Baltic, and had developed a wine trade with the south of France, while salt making and tanning were flourishing industries. Bristol was still organized manorially rather than municipally. Its chief courts were the weekly hundred court and the court league held three times a year, and presided over by the reeve appointed by the Earl of Gloucester, by the marriage of Earl John with the heiress of Earl William of Gloucester. Bristol became part of the royal domain, the rent payable to the king being fixed, and the town shook off the feudal yoke. The charter granted by John in 1190 was an epoch in the history of the borough. It provided that no burgess should be impleted without the walls, that no non-burgess should sell wine, cloth, wool, leather or corn in Bristol, that all should hold by burgage tenure, that corn need not be ground at the Lord's Mill, and that the burgesses should have all their reasonable guilds that some uncertain date soon after the say commune was established in Bristol on the French model, Robert Fitznickel, the first mayor of Bristol, taking the oath in 1200, the mayor was chosen, not, like the reeve whom he had displaced, by the overlord, but by the merchants of Bristol who were members of the merchant guild, the first documentary evidence of the existence of the merchant guild appears in 1242, in addition, there were many craft guilds later at least 26 were known to exist, the most important being the guilds of the weavers, tuckers and fullers, and the guild of the calendars of Bristol, which devoted itself to a religious, educational and social work. The mayor of Bristol was helped by two assistants, who were called provosts until 1267, and from 1267 to 1411 were known as stewards, and after that date as bailiffs. Before this time many religious houses had been founded. Earl Robert of Gloucester established the Benedictine Priory of St. James, there were Dominican and Franciscan priories, a monastery of Carmelites, and an abbey of St. Augustine founded by Robert Fitzhardinge. In the reign of John, Bristol began the struggle to absorb the neighboring manor of Bedminster, the eastern half of which was held by the Templars by gift of Earl Robert of Gloucester, and the western half, known as Redcliffe, was sold by the same Earl to Robert Fitzhardinge, afterwards Lord Berkeley. The V.04P.0581 Templars acquiesced without much difficulty, but the wealthy owners of the manor of Redcliffe, who had their own manorial courts, market, fair and key, resisted the union for nearly 100 years. In 1247 a new course was cut for the river Frome which vastly improved the harbor, 
and in the same year a stone bridge was built over the Avon, bringing Temple and Redcliffe into closer touch with the city. The charter granted by Henry III, in 1256 was important. It gave the burgesses the right to choose coroners, and as they already farmed the geld payable to the king, Bristol must have been practically independent of the king. The growing exclusiveness of the merchant guild led to the great insurrection of 1412. The oligarchical party was supported by the Berkeleys, but the opposition continued their rebellion until 1413, when the town was besieged and taken by the royal forces. During the reign of Edward III, cloth manufacture developed in Bristol. Thomas Blanket set up looms in 1337, employing many foreign workmen, and in 1353 Bristol was made one of the staple towns, the office of mayor of the staple being held by the mayor of the town.